Our scripture reading for today is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 19 through 31. Again, that is Acts, chapter 9, verses 19 through 31. As you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Holy Trinity downtown. I'm John Dennis, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's my great pleasure to welcome you to this message today. I have the privilege of opening God's words, and uh, our hope is today that you are caring for your own soul, taking care of the heart that you can have for the Lord. It's been a crazy season, of course, for all of us, and it's important that we take steps to clear our minds, take steps to make sure that we have the right focus. I read this week of a guy, I don't necessarily recommend this, but there's a gentleman whose name is Dan O'Connor, who is a uh, an artist in Chicago. And on June 13th, he was kind of stuck in this COVID haze and he decided he needed to do something to clear his head. So in the morning he woke up and truth be told, he was a little hung over and he went and jumped in Lake Michigan and he has been doing so for the last 244 days, no matter what the temperature outside and no matter what the temperature of uh, the water itself. I don't recommend it, but I do recommend that we find the right kind of focus that we need in the midst of COVID and in the midst of all the challenges that we are facing. And we're going to see today a refreshing picture of someone who clings to one solid truth. That is the Apostle Paul, or Saul as he's known here, clinging to this idea that Jesus is the Son of God and really 
what, what you see in the passage is how that truth begins to transform his own life. Um, many, many years ago now, on January 18th, 1803, President Thomas Jefferson sent a secret message to Congress asking for $2,500 to send an officer and a dozen soldiers to explore the Missouri River. And uh, not long after that, the Louisiana Purchase was made, which expanded the size of the United States overnight, which meant for the possibility of exploration. And Thomas Jefferson had this vision or this desire to see if he could tie the two coasts together, so to speak, using a Missouri-Columbia waterway to form the knot. And Stephen Ambrose in his uh, tome, his long book, speaks of it as a breathtaking vision to essentially create uh, a, a continent-wide empire for the United States. And the person that uh, Jefferson tapped to be the first explorer was actually his secretary at the time, who he had, that Jefferson had invested in for education. His name was Meriwether Lewis. And many people thought that Lewis was too much of a risk taker for such an expedition. And yet, it's exactly that kind of mentality that was needed. One that was courageous, one that was unafraid of challenges, one that was used to having few comforts to set about with this spirit of adventure and exploration. And today I want to introduce to you someone that Luke holds up as an emerging sort of hero within the book of Acts, someone who will explore from not just Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but to the ends of the known earth at that time. And what we're going to see is how, if you take the words of what we sang earlier, how Saul's Alleluia belonged to one person that when he had this personal encounter with who Jesus was, it changed him completely and changed the, the trajectory of his life. And so what I want to show you today is very simple. I'll, I'll uh, state it this way, that committing to Jesus as the Son of God has tremendous challenges to it. Because the call to follow Jesus is not merely one of intellectual ascent, but it is a call to follow him to the death. But the communal gifts that God gives to those who, who exalt Jesus as the Son of God are beyond compare and even almost beyond comprehension. Let me say that again, that committing to Jesus as the Son of God has tremendous challenges because we are called to follow him to death, but it, the communal benefits and blessings are rich beyond compare. That's what I, what I want to show you today. So will you open with me in prayer as we begin? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the kind of reckless abandon that we see in the Apostle Paul called Saul here, Lord, his willingness to go anywhere, do anything, be whoever you wanted him to be because he had this transformative encounter with who Jesus was and they began to see him as the Son of God. 
Lord, help us to, to see your beauty again. Help our, as we sang earlier, help our alleluia to belong to you only because you are worthy. God, crack open our frozen hearts this morning. Break through our apathy that we might see the vast value of Jesus as the Son of God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The central truth, theological truth of the passage comes in verse 20, where it says, where Saul starts to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God, and then he's proving, verse 22, that Jesus is the Christ. And I'm going to break the, the passage just into two sections, and I want you to think about it this way. If the main idea is this embracing of Jesus or exalting of Jesus as the Son of God, what Luke shows us is that there is a cost, that there are challenges to embracing Jesus as the Son of God. And he's very clear about what those challenges are. But he also, that's verses 19 to 30, but also in verse 31, he's very clear that there are comforts that are beyond measure to embracing Jesus as the Son of God. And I just want to show you those two concepts in the text this morning. So take a look first at uh, verses 19 and following, and we see that we, this is the challenges side of it, the conflicts that, that Saul faces. Verse 19, second half, for some days Saul was with the disciples at Damascus. He had had this Damascus Road experience earlier in chapter 9, and Ananias had come to him because God had told Ananias that he was going to Use Saul as his chosen instrument. This is verse 16, that he's a chosen instrument to carry his name before Gentiles or all the nations and the kings and the children of Israel. And then listen to this, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, is that something you would want to sign up for? To, to go and stand before kings, be told that you would suffer. But this is this kind of Lewis and Clark-like adventure that Saul jumps in despite the, the frigidity of the persecution that is about to come. And uh, so he's with the disciples in Damascus now, and it says that immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the Son of God. This is the guy who used to be persecuting people for proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. And now keep in mind that modern-day Jews, that modern-day Muslims, as well as Christians, are all monotheists. That is, they all believe there's one true God. But Christians believe that God dwells in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that there's been an eternal community. Now, if you speak to a Muslim about the idea that God has a son, it is absolutely blasphemous to them to say such a thing. Muslims do believe that, uh, that Jesus is one of their prophets, similar to Muhammad, and, and he's spoken of as Isa. That's, that's how he's referred to in Islam. But the idea that he's the son of God is blasphemous because God cannot have a son. And so this teaching for a strict monotheist, whether it would be a Jew or a Muslim, would be incredibly offensive. But the claim here is that Jesus is divine. That's why the disciples at different times fall down and worship him. Now, in the rest of the scriptures, when people fall down and worship someone who's only a man or an angel, 
They're told to get up, but Jesus never says that to his disciples, for instance, in Matthew 28, when they fall down before him. That claim here in this text, though, is what is going to lead him to trouble and is going to lead him to conflict. But because Saul had been so changed by Jesus, he had to proclaim such a thing. So Saul comes and he begins proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God, and he's doing this proclamation in the synagogues. And look at the response that we see in verse 21 and following. It says that all who heard him were amazed. The actual literal translation was could be ecstatic. They, they were just stunned. And they say, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? Just before this, Saul was trying to arrest people, and they, they question whether or not he's actually here to uh, arrest people. Has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Why was he doing this? How was he doing this? This is the fulfillment, again, of Acts 1-8, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that is what's happening to Paul. But he's committed to this one idea that Jesus is the Son of God. And you see, in our culture today, it's very fashionable to think of Jesus as a moral person, to think of Jesus as a kind of philosopher, but surely not to say that he is the Son of God. And yet that is what Saul is teaching and proving. He's pointing to the Old Testament and saying, see, this one is actually the Christ. It's powerful. Saul had encountered Jesus in all of his transforming power, and he's so enamored with the power and compelling nature of Jesus that he has to speak out and to begin to, to preach him. Verse 23 says, now many when many days had passed, the, the Jews had plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates by night in order to kill him. Do you see the level of conflict and the level of challenge that he is encountering, but his disciples took him by night and let him down in a basket through the opening in the wall, lowering him in the basket. It feel, this feels a little like James Bondish here to me, uh, although possibly not quite as dramatic as him, but basically he's willing to go to any extent to proclaim this name. He's not worried about what might happen to him. Some of you watched the Super Bowl last week, which was a little bit anticlimactic, but, um, and I think you were probably going for the Chiefs, not the Buccaneers. And what amazed me sometimes was just watching Mahomes kind of back up and, and drop back into the pocket a few times. And the way that he, I know he lost the game and it was terrible, but I started thinking about what would it be like to have these immense, weaponized athletes coming towards you. So I looked up how much some of the Buccaneers weigh, and here's uh, Khalil, Khalil Davis weighs 308 pounds. Donovan Smith weighs 338 pounds. There was a little sort uh, feature on the Buccaneers website, and I sorted it. So this is the heaviest weights, 347, 338, 320, 319. Can you imagine if two of those are coming at you 
That's 700 pounds of crushing power. If three are coming at you, that's a half a ton of power. And there's this one shot where Mahomes is, he, he's jumping sideways and people, guys are tackling him and gets the ball off. All the, the reason why I say that is because there's a tremendous sense of calm to the Apostle Paul. And in the face of this tremendous opposition that's coming his way, they want to kill him. And they are going to kill him eventually when he gets to Rome. So what's the point that Luke's making? It's very simple. There's a cost to Christianity. There's a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to embracing Jesus as the Son of God that's very clear in Saul's life. And if it's true then, it's true today. Now, it may not, the cost may not be experienced in the same way. But think of it. What is the cost for you of following Jesus? What is the cost for you among your family or in your workplace or the sins that you will have to turn away from? The great Puritan writer J.C. Ryle, who was the Bishop of Liverpool, puts it this way. Uh, he has a sermon, a chapter in his book on holiness, but taken from a sermon from Luke 14, 28, which says this, Which of you, when intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? There is a price to pay. And he goes on and he says, that your following Christ or exalting him as the son of God will cost you your self-righteousness. No longer can you boast in what you can do. He goes on to say that it will also cost you your sins. You have to give them to him. You have to turn from your sins. He writes, a person must be willing to give up every habit and practice, which is wrong in God's sight. He must set his face against it, quarrel against it, Break off from it, fight it, crucify it, and labor to keep it under whatever the world around him may say or think. And friends, our culture is rapidly changing around us, and it has been for the last decade or so. And Christian morality and following Christ in holiness is not the way of this world today. Ryle goes on, he says, Following Jesus or exalting Jesus as the Son of God must cost us of our life of ease. And then he writes, I grant it costs much to be a Christian, a true Christian, but who in his sound senses can doubt that it is worth any cost to have your soul saved? And this is what's happened to Saul. His life has been changed. His life has been transformed. And so the cost seems nothing to him. I remember when I was a youth pastor a couple decades ago, and uh, I wanted to take some students overseas. My Part of my goal as a youth pastor was help students experience life outside of suburbia, where, where things seemed comfortable, where th things seemed to have a veneer of morality on them and, and to take them to places where they'd never seen drastic poverty, never seen the joy of people worshiping with very, very little. And so we had a trip planned to Guatemala and there was actually a political uprising at that time in Guatemala City and in that area. And the uh, executive pastor at the time said that we were going to have to cancel the trip and we got into discussion about it. And I asked him why. And he said, it, it's just too dangerous right now. 
So in all my youthful zeal, I felt like dangerous. What do you mean dangerous? Don't you know that all the founders of Christianity died? They were killed. Jesus was crucified. All the disciples, 11 of them, everyone except for John, was martyred. The apostle Paul will have his head chopped off. Historically, we know that's what happened to him. In other words, Christianity is dangerous in and of itself if all the founders were assassinated and exterminated and terminated. So I just want to say to you, Holy Trinity, as, as our culture begins to change, don't, let's not fear the future. God holds the future in his hands and he holds you in his hands. And yes, there's a cost to lifting up Jesus in terms of your personal holiness, in terms of the way that you are thought of. For Saul, there was a risk, but for him, the reward was actually greater. And I want to show you the, the reward that meets the risk that he took. But let me show you one more aspect of the risk. Verses 26 to 29 and 30 now speaks of when Saul comes among the disciples. So when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. So not only is he getting some pushback from people outside of the church community, those who follow Jesus, but inside as well. They were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. And uh, then he meets Barnabas, and I love Barnabas in the book of Acts. His name means son of encouragement. He's one of those people that when you meet him, you just feel like, you know what? I feel uplifted. I feel encouraged. And it says that Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he'd seen the Lord who spoke to him and basically tells of how he's been radically changed. That he's preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. So then he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. And then this little phrase, but they were seeking to kill him. As Jesus had died, they wanted Saul to die as well. And remember the prophecy, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. That's the emphasis. There's a cost to embracing Jesus as the Son of God. Bonhoeffer so eloquently says it this way, that suffering is the badge of true discipleship. See, there's no one else like that. Why would Saul do this? Why would he be willing to do this? There's no one else like who Jesus really is, as we sang, sang earlier, or sorry, as we will sing in a few moments. Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else could make every king bow down? Who else can whisper in darkness trembles? Only a holy God, only Jesus, the Son of God. What other beauty demands such praises? What other splendor outshines the sun? This is not an exaggeration. The sun of God's beauty and holiness outshines the sun. He created the sun. And what other majesty rules with justice? Those of you who long for justice, Jesus has come to bring justice and he will bring justice. Only a holy God. When you embrace and exalt Jesus as the son of God, other things in the world begin to pale in their, their power over you. And so that's what we see in this text is that Saul 
begins to change when he meets Jesus and begins to exalt him as the Son of God, proclaiming him as the Son of God, and he encounters great challenges in the midst of it. But then he also experiences great blessings and comforts because of it. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me, the transition in verse 30 to 31, because I would expect after everything that has been said about what Saul's challenges are, that that verse 31 might say something like, so they were anxious because Saul was being unjustly persecuted, or, and so the church was distressed and discouraged because of the opposition, or, and so the church was filled with conflict and anxiety. But look at verse 31. I love this part. Look at verse 31. It says, and so after all the conflict, after all of the challenges, and Saul is lifting up the Lord Jesus, it says, so the church throughout all Judea and Samaria had peace and was being built up. That is so counterintuitive, but here's the, here's the second claim. It's not just that seeing Jesus as the Son of God and lifting him up and exalting him will bring conflict and challenges. It's that it will bring comforts that are beyond measure and beyond what this world might experience. And so the church had peace. This is a summary verse, and there's a number of these in the book of Acts, um, in, in, in Acts chapter 6, when the widows are not being fed and they need to um, raise up some other leaders there's a summary verse at the end of that little section that talks about the church continuing to grow. This is one of those phrases. You would think it would say everything was going downhill, but instead it says that the church throughout all Judea and all Samaria and Galilee had peace and was being built up. It'd be like saying the church throughout Michigan and Wisconsin and Illinois and Indiana experience this kind of peace. And I just want to show you these benefits that, that Luke lays out for us that are the benefits of a church when it exalts Jesus as the Son of God. So we take just a few moments with me to, to immerse yourself in these blessings which are given in the text. The first blessing that it mentions in verse 31 is peace. There's peace in the church, uh, in our membership vows. When we, when someone takes vows to be a member of the, the church, one of the questions that is asked is, will you, will you study, will you seek to study the peace and purity of the church? You see, a church needs a kind of respite from conflict and division and slander and gossip. gossip. And I'll just say that one of the, the great blessings of being a part of Holy Trinity Church over the last 23 years or so is God has preserved us from division. He's preserved us from splits. And I'm so grateful that he's preserved us in this way. But that I, I attributed it to us all being able to lift our eyes up and see Jesus as the Son of God. That's the first comfort there. When you exalt Jesus as the Son of God, in the midst of challenges and costs, there's peace. But secondly, it says that the church was being built up throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria. This is such an important word in the New Testament. The idea of being built up is um, used 
frequently in 1 Corinthians and the book of Ephesians. It's the word oikodemeo, which literally oikos is the word for house. And it, it has to do with the idea built of it has to do with the idea of building something up. It's like building a house, that the church is being built up, not actually physically into a physical structure, but into a spiritual structure, that the people were growing in their knowledge of who Jesus was. What a blessing. How is that happening? It's because Jesus was being proclaimed as the Son of God. And when, when Jesus is proclaimed as the Son of God, people are strengthened by the words that the Apostle Paul is preaching. Another way to think of this word, is it's a weightlifting word. Ephesians chapter 4 speaks of the body of Jesus, same word, being built up. And this is what we need. Wouldn't it be amazing to say that in the church throughout Chicago, there's great peace? Or in the church throughout Chicago land, the church is being built up, not financially only, but spiritually. Third characteristic of exalting Jesus as the Son of God in the midst of costs and challenges is that the church, listen to this, is walking in the fear of the Lord. Now, we don't like to think about fearing the Lord very much in our culture, but it's an astounding statement. I, I mentioned earlier J.C. Ryle and his book, Holiness. It's a great one if you'd like to read something about what does it look like to live a holy life? It's a, it's a classic work on calling Christians to live holiness, holy lives. He says, uh, we must be holy because this is the one grand end and purpose for which Christ came into the world. He came to make you holy. And Jesus is a complete savior. He does not merely take away the guilt of a believer's sin. He does more. He breaks its power. And so, friends, I just want to challenge you as, you, as you consider Jesus as the Son of God, consider a life of holiness. Consider the ways in which you need to break away from sin in your life, in which you need to walk in the fear of the Lord. That means reverence and awe of the Lord. Thomas Watson, another Puritan, says, A Christian's great care should be to keep the heart pure, because it is the heart that sanctifies all we do. If the heart be holy, all is holy, and our affections are holy, and our duties are holy. There are so many temptations in this world. Holy Trinity, can we walk in the fear of the Lord? Can we have his peace? The fourth characteristic here is they're, they're not only walking in the fear of the Lord, but it says that the church was walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Does anyone here this morning need the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Think of the contrast. Saul is going through all of these conflicts, and yet there's peace. Saul is going through all of these challenges, and yet there's comfort in the church. Comfort and conflict can go together. You can have conflict outside of, your, uh, outside of you in your experience, and also have peace and comfort within when you know the security of Jesus as the Son of God. I just pray that some of you would really be comforted in this next season. The last thing here is it says that the church multiplied. So it wasn't only that the church was experiencing these tremendous blessings uh, as a community of peace and, and being built up and walking in fear and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, but they're multiplying. 
What does that mean? It means that leaders are being trained. It means that people are stepping up to help other people in need. It means that the church is growing, that people are coming to know Christ. And friends, pray for this, that as we lift up the Son of God, that that leaders will be trained and sent out. I was reading the history of Presbyterianism the other day, (laughs) talked about um, how uh, the pastors essentially were having to ride on horseback to to preach in different locations because the church in the early days of our country were so spread out. And one of them had to ride through on his horse through a, uh, a river. So he would arrive at his second sermon of the day sopping wet. <laughs> but it just showed kind of the zeal and, and the joy of wanting to multiply for the gospel. Friends, you don't have to be a pastor in order to serve other people. You can have the Holy Spirit residing within you, coming upon you, helping you to, to propel the movement of the gospel forward. So let me let me just close with, with this final application, if I can. Committing to Jesus as the Son of God has tremendous challenges. There are costs because Jesus calls us to follow him to the death. It's not mere intellectual assent, but the blessings that he brings and gives us are rich beyond compare. They can put Saul in a basket, but they cannot box up his peace. They can lower him down in a crate, but he will still have the comfort of God. God's blessing and peace and comfort come upon his church when Jesus is exalted as the Son of God. That is the key. So just two application words for you as as I close. One is, will you commit or recommit to Jesus as the Son of God, no matter what the cost is for you? Is there a cost in your family? Is there a cost in your reputation at work? Is there a cost to your pride? Is there a cost to your self-esteem? Is there a cost to your sexual lifestyle that acknowledging him in the world will mean certain things you have to say no to? Is there a cost to the level of your comfort that you will have to go out of your way and think of others? Will you recommit to Jesus as the number one priority in your life, the way we see it in the Apostle Paul's life? That's my first challenge to you. Only he is worthy of worship. And then the second one is to seek the comforts that are spoken of here. Seek them communally. Do you need peace? Ask God for more peace. Is there a way that you can help to build up the church? Find a way. Do you need to walk deeper in the fear of the Lord? I know that I do. Have you forgotten to fear him and acknowledge him? Do you need the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Why not ask someone to pray for you that you might experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Is God calling you now to help to step up with the multiplication of the gospel somehow? through your influence, through finances, through service. Committing to Jesus as the Son of God has tremendous challenges because he calls us to follow him to death, but the blessings and the comforts that he brings are rich beyond compare. Brothers and sisters, may you go and walk in this peace in the name of Jesus. Let me bow and end uh, with you in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. And we pray that even as people experience pain in this world, that they would experience your peace. Even as they experience the challenges and conflicts, that they would also experience that we as a church 
would experience your comforts. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.